Good morning, Cornerstone, and welcome to our online service. And as you can see, we've got a different setting. Um, we're going to be leading up into our, our Christmas series. I've put on my cardigan because it's wintertime, making it a bit more cosy as we seek to move towards a Christmas time, which is going to be very different for us all. And I know even this, this week, the, the, our conversations have been full of what we're going to be doing this year. Who can we spend Christmas with? Who's going to be in our bubble? Who are the three households that we can engage with? The other thing that has been a little bit different about Christmas this year is that it seems that everybody's putting up their Christmas decorations a lot earlier than usual. We put ours up last week. Um, Sean, I think, wanted to get them up at the end of October. And she said to me, well, nothing's normal in 2020, so we might as well get them up. But when you have to pay the electricity bill for the amount of lights that could light up Wembley Stadium, you have to be a little bit more conservative about these things. But we got our lights up last last week. Now, what comes in our house with putting our Christmas decorations and putting our Christmas lights up are, are our kids wanting every night to watch a different Christmas movie. Now, our favourite Christmas movie that we watch every Christmas Eve, it's like a, a Robbo Christmas tradition, is Home Alone 2. So if you've not seen it, can I encourage you? Hilarious. Really, really funny. Even when you've watched it for like the 15th time, we have a great time on Christmas Eve watching it. But one of uh, uh, my kids' favourite Christmas films that has come about only in the last five or six years is the film The Nativity. Now, not the adaptation of the biblical story Nativity. This is called Nativity because it's based on a school nativity where a school teacher has to do a nativity play with these kids from this local primary school. I won't give you any more regarding that, but it is very funny and it is very, very cute. Now, folks, for nearly over 2,000 years, every single year, the story of Jesus' coming, the nativity story, is shared up and down our land and all over the world. And every single year, there are millions and millions and millions of children who are hoping to be picked for those starring roles of Mary or Joseph. Now, if, you don't, if you're anything like me, I never got those starring roles, and I had to make do with being either a shepherd dressed in my dressing gown and a kitchen towel on my head, or I, I ended up being an angel a couple of times with a bit of a pillowcase. Well, for me, it was probably more like a, a white duvet cover, <laughs> and some tinsel around my head. But one thing that we can say about the nativity story, the, 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 the telling of the coming of Jesus in all the schools and in the nurseries and the playgroups up and down our land, is that it's really, really cute and often funny and often a beautiful adaptation that involves children of the coming of the Lord Jesus. But the problem is, because most of us in our culture and in our context only have that telling of the story as a reference point, many people actually think that the coming of Jesus was a sweet, charming affair. When the reality of what was going on at the time, the reality of what was going on in the lives of the people at that time could not be further from what we understand from the children's Christmas nativities that we see every year. See folks, the events and the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ was full of scandal. It was full of pain. It was full of disbelief, worry, anxiety, and fear. It was full of strength and conviction. It was full of wonder, and it was full of hope. 
And the coming of Jesus, the incarnation, the God becoming flesh, born as a baby to grow as a man, made a massive impact on the lives of every single person that is mentioned in the Nativity story. Folks, imagine being told that you were pregnant and that your fiancé was not the father. Imagine being told that your fiancé had got pregnant and you weren't the father. Imagine having to tell your parents that. Imagine having to run when you hear that the king of your area wanted to actually kill your baby. Imagine being an old person who had never had children and wanted children for years and then suddenly being told that you were going to have a baby. How would you deal with that? How would you engage in your community? How would you tell people these things? Folks, there were many things going on in the lives of people that the Lord Jesus Christ was born into. In some way, Jesus was born into a dysfunctional family in a dysfunctional situation. See, folks, the wonder of the incarnation of Jesus is that God became flesh and stepped into the darkness. And that darkness, that brokenness and pain was the context that Jesus was born into. It was the darkness that was being experienced by real people that was manifesting itself in anxiety, in worry, in pain, in fear, at simultaneously being met with the light of the world, wonder, hope, promise, and the fulfillment that Jesus brought. And what our hope is, leading up to Christmas, is that we're going to take people from this well-known nativity story and we're going to show you the context of their lives. We're going to show you what was going on. We're going to show you what they were feeling. We're going to show you uh, what they were thinking, what they were doubting, what they were hoping for. And we're going to show you the impact that Jesus made on them just over 2,000 years ago. And this week, we're going to look at two people, a married couple, Zachariah and Elizabeth. So if you've got your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 1, verse 67. And I'm going to read to you the, 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 the praise, the proclamation, the word of prophecy that Zechariah proclaimed after his son, John the Baptist, had been born. Now, the whole story is probably about 80 verses in chapter 1, so we're not going to read them all, but we're going to just read this part as a point of reference for us. Let's read from verse 67 of chapter 1 of the book of Luke. And his father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. As he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant. The oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, child, 
will be called the prophet of the Most High. For you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. Folks, Zachariah and Elizabeth were an old couple. Now, Zachariah was a priest. He was a priest in the division of Abijah, and Elizabeth was one of the daughters of Aaron. Now, at that time, there were 24 priests, and each of those priests would take two weeks a year to, to administer the prayers, the burning of incense, to administer the Passover, uh, and the different festivals within God's people's character. Now, it was at this time when it was Zachariah's turn. So he walks into the temple, he spends time in the temple, and he's burning incense and praying. Now, both Elizabeth and Zachariah, the Bible tells us, were righteous people. They loved God, and they lived in ways that glorified God. Both Elizabeth and Zachariah, as older people, loved God and followed the ways of the Lord. Now, Zechariah was in the temple, and he was burning incense, and he was praying. And whilst he was praying and burning incense, an angel appeared to him, and the angel Gabriel. Now, obviously, this wasn't, wasn't like a little cute angel in a pillowcase and some tinsel. No, this was a powerful, majestic angel that stood in the presence of Zechariah. And Zechariah, naturally, was fearful. But even though this intimidating heavenly being stood before Zechariah in the midst of his fear, he calmly said, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayers have been heard and your wife will have a child. Now this was big news for Zechariah because Zechariah and Elizabeth were very old but they didn't have any children because Elizabeth was barren, was barren. Now, the angel then went on to say and give specifics about this child that was going to be born um, and, and, and be their child. And this is what the, the angel said, he will be great before the Lord. Now, he mustn't drink wine or strong drink, but he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from being in his mother's womb. Then the angel went on to say to Zachariah, look, this little boy, this child, will grow to be a man that turns many people of Israel to their God. He will be go before him. He will go before the promised one in the power and the spirit of Elijah, and he will turn heart, turning the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedience to the wisdom of the just. This child is going to grow to be the one who makes ready for the Lord his people. Now, I don't know about you, if an angel came to me and stood in front of me and said to me, I'm going to give you the answer to the prayer that you've been praying. I, I don't know how I'd react. But what's really interesting about Zachariah's reaction is, um, how, how, how will I know that this will happen? Now, 
I don't know about you, but I, but I can imagine the angel Gabriel, this heavenly being, standing in front of Zachariah as he gives this wonderful news that Zachariah's response to is, well, I need a little bit more than that to, to, to prove that this is going to happen. I, I can imagine the, the, the sort of response that's going on in, in Gabriel's head. Is, is this fellow for real? Is this fellow for, is this fellow for real? Has there been something in that incense he's been, he's been burning? I, I, I'm an angel. I'm an angel from, from, from God. What, what more does this guy need? Now, the interesting thing is, that's basically what Gabriel says to Zachariah. He goes, I'm an angel. I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. And I have been sent to give you this news. What more do you need, Zachariah? And then the angel tells Zachariah that because of his disbelief, he would be mute. He would be unable to speak. He would be able to, to explain his experience, to, to tell Elizabeth, to tell those who, who were around. And he would remain mute till these things came to pass. The angel of Gabriel left and Zechariah left the temple. And leaving the temple, there were many, many people who, who, who were there, who were waiting because Zechariah had taken longer than usual because the angel had visit, visited them. They realized that something had occurred, that he wasn't able to speak, and they came to the assumption that he'd had some sort of vision. Zechariah went home, and lo and behold, Elizabeth got pregnant. Now, for a number of months, Elizabeth hid her pregnancy from every. Why? We're not 100% sure. But what we know is, is that she had come to realize that the Lord had been gracious to her and that the scorn and the shame that she felt that was put upon her by those around her because she couldn't have children was being re relieved by the Lord in this wonderful moment. Now, whilst all this was going on, there was a young teenage girl by the name of Mary. And Mary, who was betrothed to be married to Joseph, was also visited by the angel Gabriel. And Mary had been told that she would carry and give birth to and be the mother of the promised one. The promised one who, who's, who's, who was the one who was going to follow the son of Zachariah. Zachariah's son was going to make the way for this promised one, the Lord Jesus. Now we're going to hear more about Mary next week, but Mary goes to visit Elizabeth. Now the assumption is that Elizabeth hasn't got a clue that Mary's pregnant, for one. And two, she hasn't got a clue that she's pregnant with Jesus. So Mary visits Elizabeth, her cousin, and as Mary walks in the door, and as soon as Elizabeth hears the voice of Mary, the Bible tells us that the baby within Elizabeth leapt with joy, and that Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she cried out, she proclaimed in front of Mary, blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. See, she recognizes Mary as the mother of the Lord and blesses her for believing that she was the one who would share in what would be fulfilled. Folks, Elizabeth didn't know that Mary was pregnant as far as we can tell. Elizabeth didn't know that Mary was pregnant with 
Jesus. But something occurred when she came. So you had Elizabeth with her promised baby, miracle baby. You had Mary with her miracle baby. And we see this interaction of praise and blessing because of faithfulness and obedience. Now, nine months passed and Elizabeth gave birth to a bouncing baby boy. Now, the custom then on the eighth day was to take a boy to, to, to be circumcised and to be named. So Elizabeth and Zachariah go there and the conversation is, who are you going to name the child? What's the name that you're going to give to this child? And Elizabeth said to them, his name's going to be John. Now, the people were really, really, really perplexed by this because there was no connection uh, uh, of the name John with the family of Elizabeth. So surely that, that can't be right. Surely you're going to call him after uh, either someone from your family or from Zachariah's line. So they, they didn't sort of believe Elizabeth and dismiss her. So they moved to Zachariah. And Zachariah asked for something to write upon. And when he, what he wrote upon it, he turned it around and it said, His name is John. His name is John. And at that point, his mouth was opened, his tongue was loosed, and the people were in awe. They were in awe so much so that the story of what had occurred with Zachariah and with this baby went all over Judea and people started to ask the question, who is this child? What will become of this child? And it was at this point that Zechariah gave proclamation, praise and prophecy and gave language and understanding to what was occurring right in the midst of his family and right into, in the midst of all the people who stood and wondered. Folks, a real story about real people who are experiencing real pain who showed doubt, who were living in the midst of weakness. And the Lord Jesus Christ is promised and brought into that context. Now, there are a few things that I want us just to highlight from this story that I think will help us to really get to grips with that. And I pray gives us some hope and comfort as we look at this story. The first one is this. What's really interesting about the nativity story and what is really, really interesting regarding um, this specific story is that on a number of occasions, Zachariah, Mary, Joseph, the shepherds, their response to what they see and what they are told is fear. And what comes back from the angels is, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Folks, I think one of the wonderful things about God when he meets his people is that it is right for us to have reverent fear, which means a respect and an honor for who he is and what he proclaims. But those of us that he meets, we have no need to be afraid. We have no need to be afraid. And if we have no need to be afraid when God is in our midst, we therefore have no need to be afraid in the brokenness that we find ourselves in. One of the themes that comes right through the nativity story is, don't be afraid. 
Don't be afraid. God is with us. A few of the things that I'd love us to just look at. First one is this. In this story, this particular story, we see fulfillment in the face of doubt. Fulfillment in the face of doubt. See, Zachariah and Elizabeth were described as righteous people. Good people. People who followed the ways of God. Not because of their strength and their faith, but because of God's grace. See, the reason why we know that is because we see weakness and we see doubt in this story. See, with Elizabeth, we see weakness. We see the weakness that she is unable to have a child. And folks, that carried a lot of consequences in that particular culture in that way. She felt weak. That's why I think she, she hid the birth because she didn't know what to do with what was happening. On. She was weak in and of herself. And we see the issue of doubt an angel visited Zachariah and answered his prayer for a child and also folks a prayer the prayer of the coming of the promised one Zachariah would have been praying those prayers as well an angel stood in front of him and he still doubted folks righteousness is not because of our strength or our faith righteousness is because of God's grace it's God's grace and grace is given to those who doubt and grace is given to those who are weak folks the nativity story starts and is birthed through two people a doubting old man and a barren old woman and the old guy despite his prayers his knowledge of God's promises and even an angel standing in front of him struggles to believe struggles to believe folks we can resonate with this we can understand this we can understand even in the midst of knowing what God has done for us what God has promised even from our own experience of seeing his hand move or him speak to us in and through his word by his spirit or to move in the lives of people that we love and we know but we can still doubt we can still struggle to believe See, the encouraging thing about this story is that even though he didn't believe, God still used him and God still fulfilled his promise. God still used him, but God still fulfilled his promise. Folks, even in the midst of our doubt, even in the midst of our disbelief, God will fulfill his promise purpose he will fulfill his purpose for his glory and he will fulfill his purpose for you he will fulfill his purpose in and through you even in the midst of doubt number one there is fulfillment in the face of doubt number two is this strength there is strength and provision in the face of weakness see god uses the weakness and shame of barrenness What's really interesting is that actually we see that happen on a number of occasions through God's story, through the story of the Bible. Folks, to some extent, this is the brokenness of the world being experienced by one woman who was unable to have children. But God starts the greatest story ever told through this old woman 
who hides her pregnancy and he uses her to carry and give birth to and mother the forerunner to Jesus who would make the ways straight for the coming of the king. His name is John the Baptist. John the Baptist. Folks, in this story, we see fulfillment in the face of doubt and we see strength and provision in the face of weakness. And number three, faith doesn't have to be strong to save. It just has to be real. Real. Folks, our weakness, whether that is brokenness, doubt, fear, is God's primary means of demonstrating his power. When we embrace that weakness, he is strong. See, the problem is we either repent of our weakness in that we try to cover it up and try to present something that isn't real, or we get consumed by our weakness and we fail to believe that God can work in and through us. Folks, I think that's what was going on with Zachariah and Elizabeth. I think they were consumed by their weakness, that they, they, they struggled to believe that God was going to work in and through them. Zachariah had an angel in front of him, but he still struggled to believe. His weakness was a weakness of faith. Elizabeth got pregnant after years she was carrying a child. She would have felt the kicks, but she still hid it. Folks, the weakness and our brokenness is the primary means by which God demonstrates his power. And when we embrace our weakness, he is strong. In our weakness, he is strong. See, folks, embracing weakness leads to us showing dependency on God. It not only leads to us showing dependency, it leads to a dependency on God, which is real faith, which is real faith. Folks, our faith is not shown and demonstrated through how many passages that we know. Our real faith is not demonstrated in how many meetings we attend. Our real faith is not demonstrated in how, how many sermons that we preach or how hospitable that we are. Yes, they, th 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 those sorts of things roll out of our faith, but real faith is shown in our dependency on God. That we can't do this in and of ourselves. That we do not deserve his, his grace, his goodness. We do not deserve for him to be walking with us. So real faith is seen and demonstrated in our dependency on God. Now folks, let us remember that real faith is not mustered up as though we pull our socks up or we, we write a plan in our, in our diaries or we do specific things. No, real faith is a product of grace. It's a product of grace. We experience the grace of God and faith, the gift of faith, is something that is gifted to us because of the grace of God. Zachariah didn't have faith in the words of Gabriel, but his faith was real. Hence the discipline and continued fulfillment and not condemnation. Folks, his faith was real, even though he doubted the words of Gabriel. Now, folks, I hope that's a comfort to you. I hope it's a comfort to you to realize 
that in the moments where you do doubt God's goodness, that does not mean that you've thrown out all your faith. The fact that you are going to God and recognizing that goodness is found there is evidence of your faith. Folks, I don't know about you, but on many, many occasions, I found myself repeating the very words that a man repeated when the Lord Jesus engaged with him. And Jesus shared something with him and he said this, I believe, but help my unbelief. I believe, but help my unbelief. Folks, no matter your weakness, God is good. And no matter your faith, if it's real, it will save. Faith doesn't have to be strong to save. It just has to be real. And finally, joy is found in the presence of Jesus, who is the fulfillment of promise. Elizabeth's response when she sees Mary is the baby bounces in her womb. She's filled with the Holy Spirit and she knows exactly who she's talking to and exactly who she is carrying. We see the joy. We see a joy that probably she had not experienced for years, if ever at all. And we see the joy professed in the prophecy that Zechariah exclaimed as the fulfillment of everything that the angel had said to him came about and his mouth was open and his tongue was loosed and he sings a song explaining to Elizabeth, explaining to himself, explaining to everybody around, let me tell you what is going on here. Let me tell you who we are in the presence of. Let me tell you what is going to occur God is fulfilling his promises. God is bringing about all that he promised for his people. And we are part of that. We are part of that. Folks, there is joy found in the presence of Jesus, who is the fulfillment of these promises. In verse 68 of the passage that we read, Zechariah praises God because God has visited his people. He praises him because God is raising up a mighty saviour, a horn of salvation from the household of David, fulfilling all the promises that he had given to the prophets. You read that in verses 69 and 70. And he, he proclaims and exclaims that God will do what we can't do for ourselves. He will keep the covenant. He will defeat our enemies. He will eradicate fear and he will make us holy. He will make us right before him, verses 72 and 74. And he will do through this child, his child, Zachariah's child, through John. He will prepare the way for the light of the world, Jesus, who Mary was carrying, who comes from on high and steps into the darkness. And Jesus will bring a glorious dawn of light. And the Zechariah says that this glorious light will bring light to those who are sitting in darkness, those who are in the midst of the valley of the shadow of death, and he will bring uh, guidance to our feet that will move us towards a way of peace, who will bring salvation. Folks, in the midst of this broken story, in the midst of this doubt, in the midst of this weakness, in the midst of this lack of faith, God fulfills his promises. 
And God's presence is experienced and joy is found there. And Zechariah proclaims God is going to do what he said he is going to do. And this one who comes after my son will bring light to those who sit in darkness. Those who are just sitting. Those who aren't moving. Those who are trying to make sense of the darkness, but the problem is they can't see. Those who have experienced over the last nine months the shadow of death in ways that they have never experienced before. Whether it's looking at the amount of people that have died every single day on the BBC app, or it's whether you've experienced losing somebody yourself. The light of Jesus, Zachariah is saying, has come to shine light on you. And not only shine light on you in the midst of that darkness, but actually to guide your feet in a way of peace to bring you salvation. See, the reality is this, folks. Without that light, without the Lord Jesus, we are just sitting, waiting for death. But the Lord Jesus steps into the brokenness of the lives of these real people. And in doing so, steps into the brokenness of our lives and brings light, hope, joy, peace, and wonder to those who sit in darkness. See, a glorious light has dawned, and his name is Jesus. Folks, the nativity stories that we all see, whether we watch it on TV or whether we see on uh, when we see our children, in those nativity stories, my favorite part is this. Right at the end, when Mary and Joseph are there with the little baby Jesus, it's usually like a little doll, little baby Jesus, and you've got the angels in their, in their pillar cases and their tinsel, and you've got the shepherds over this side in their dressing gowns and their kitchen towels, and you've got the, the wise men with the, the, the cardboard hats and all the, the jewels. You've got the innkeepers, you've got the choirs, you've got the angels, you've got all the kids everywhere. And if you've got a big budget, you've got a donkey that's pooing everywhere. You've got the whole scene there, and who is right in the middle of it all? Jesus. Who is right in the middle of all that brokenness, all that doubt, all that weakness? Who is right in the middle of all those who are sitting in darkness? Jesus. It's my favorite bit. Because right at the end, we're left with the reason why we are telling this story after two and a half thousand years. Because the Lord Jesus Christ comes, yes, as a baby. Yes, in the midst of brokenness, but he will grow. And he won't only shed light on darkness, he will become the very thing that brings darkness, sin itself. And he will take the brokenness and the shame and the rejection of him and his father on himself and die in our place. The very thing that we are waiting around for as we sit in darkness, that death Jesus took for us. And in taking it, pays for all that brokenness, that rejection, and that darkness on our behalf. He fulfills, he provides, he saves, he saves. And he rises again three days later, never to die again. A glorious dawn, a glorious light that will never go out. And for those of us, by grace through faith, that wonderful gift of faith that is given to us because of the grace of God. 
have that future, have that hope, and in the midst of this brokenness, have that peace that he is guiding us and taking us to in this moment. Do you know that peace? Do you know the fulfillment in the midst of doubt? Do you know a provision and strength and hope in the midst of your weakness? Do you know the joy that is found in the presence of Jesus? My hope and my prayer this year, this Christmas, you will come to know that. Characters one and two. An old couple, an old man of doubt, and an old barren woman. Zachariah and Elizabeth that had their lives transformed because Jesus came. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you so much that you love the world, that you sent your only begotten son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but will have eternal life. We thank you that he is the one that has come from, from on high and he brings light Light to those who sit in darkness and, and who are in the, the shadow of the valley of death. But he brings light and brings peace and brings hope. Father, the world is seat, seated in darkness with no movement, no peace. Experiencing fear. Fear that can't be eradicated in and of itself with no hope at all. But you, in your kindness, have broken into history, into the messiness of real people's lives. Lives that are characterized by fear, weakness, doubt, anxiety. You used them 2,000 years ago. You brought hope and forgiveness and salvation to them. You have brought hope, forgiveness and salvation to us. And we thank you and we praise you for that and in the midst of the confusion in the midst of the abnormality of what we know in terms of christmas this year help us never to forget jesus jesus we thank you we love you and we pray lord that you will be the center of all our thoughts as we move towards christmas for your glory's sake amen <laughs>